0: Right, Emmaus, what a wonderful time to, uh, to sing together. If you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 21. We are going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. If everything stays on track, we should complete Matthew on Easter Sunday. And so we're going to use Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights to move from Matthew 21 through the end of, end of that book. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you or you have it on your phone, And you want to bring that out, you can do that right now. I mentioned Wednesday night because in order to make it from where we are now to the end of the book, we're going to use both Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. If your work schedule and family schedule allows, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our Wednesday night. It's a great opportunity for the teenagers to be able to worship together. Our kids and preschoolers have activities together. We meet at 630. On Wednesday nights over in the gym over in that back building and we also have a meal that starts at 515 and Wednesday night with that meal and uh, more laid-back kind of a smaller gathering time of worship it's one of my favorite things we do uh, at Emmaus and so I'd encourage you to be a part of that if that's something that would would be uh, would match your schedule and be of interest to you all right what I want to do this morning is I want to read these verses Starting in verse 23, and we're just going to read down through verse 27, and we're actually going to cover more verses than that, but right now we're just going to read 23 to 27. And I just want us to take a break for a moment and have a time of prayer. I'm going to pray over us here at the beginning of the year. You'll have a chance to pray right where you are, and then we'll get into studying these verses together. Matthew 21, starting in verse 23. And they disgusted among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray together. Church, kids as you're sitting there praying I pray that uh, you'll take time to pray for your parents for your friends at school that you'll see this week students that you'll pray that God would prepare you for the week ahead that you would interact with your friends and your teachers in a way that is honoring to the Lord that you'd be able to live out the gospel for those going to work this week for those who will be Caring for people in need. God, prepare our hearts right now. Father, at the beginning of a new year, God, remind us this morning of how good you are. God, so many people in this room are facing incredible difficulties. God, physical difficulties. God, I pray that they would hope in you this week more than ever before. God, if we're honest and we, and we know that during the last few weeks or maybe even the last few years that we have strayed from you, that we've lived according to our own plans and our own purposes, God, would you do a good work this morning to draw people back to you? God, may would this be a place of repentance and recommitment. God, I pray this year at Emmaus that you would draw us to holiness that you would draw us to love for you and love for one another. God, would you heal marriages? Would you heal families? Would you heal friendships? And God, use us to make a difference in the world. God, we gather here because we believe you are good, but we do not want to stay here. God, we pray that you would send us out with hope and joy and peace into our neighborhoods, into all nations. So God, speak to us this morning from your word. God, let our hearts be open to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning with a funny story. And we're also going to talk about the sad part of this story, but, the, but it's, it's a funny story that one of our members sent to me a couple of weeks ago and said, this might make a good sermon illustration. And in fact, I think it does make a good sermon illustration. So hear me out, okay? A couple in Florida, and really that tells you everything you need to know about the story to come. Every good story begins with a man from Florida or a couple from Florida. So you know it's good at that point. So a couple in Florida... Tito and Amanda, not my Amanda, another Amanda, a couple in Florida, Tito and Amanda, were arrested for selling golden tickets to heaven to hundreds of people. So they sold the tickets on the street for $99.99 per ticket. Told the buyers the tickets were made from solid gold and that each ticket reserved the buyer a spot in heaven. Simply present the ticket at the pearly gates and you are in. They told police, it was Jesus who gave them, or Tito told police, it was Jesus who gave me the tickets behind the KFC and told me to sell them so I could get some money to go to outer space. So, number one, don't eat at KFC, I guess. But number, Tito said, I met an alien named Stevie who said if I got the cash together, he would take me and my wife on his flying saucer to his planet made entirely of drugs. That tells you everything you need to know about the story. And then Tito says, you should arrest Jesus because he's the one who gave me the golden tickets. I'm willing to wear a wire and set Jesus up. And then the police said that they confiscated over $10,000 and a baby alligator. Because what else could they have in the story but a baby alligator there? Now, that's a funny story, we have to admit. It's also a sad story because, let's be honest, when you combine mental health challenges and drugs, it is not a pretty picture. And, and I say that very carefully because I know your story or people in your family, when you combine mental health challenges and drugs and, and low socioeconomic conditions, you can have stories like that, and, and if that is the situation in your family, we want to be able to provide ministry. We have an incredible ministry we partner with called Hope is Alive that works with drug addictions, and there are places we can refer people to for care, and so Tito and Amanda need, need a lot of help, obviously, more than just the, what happened behind KFC. But here's the thing. There's actually a little bit of that story that I want us to catch on to because I think it helps with the verses this morning. Jesus... Go with me on the story. Jesus told Tito to do something, and what did he do? He went and did it. In some way, Jesus had a level of authority in his mind and over his life that he heard something he was supposed to do, and he went and did it. Now, there's nothing else in that story that I would want you to duplicate from Tito and Amanda's lives, okay? Other than the fact of asking ourselves this question. What kind of authority does Jesus have over my life? What kind of authority does Jesus have over my actions? If Jesus met you behind KFC and said to go do something, would you do it? Because there's a big question that all of us have to deal with. Something or someone has authority over your life. Speaks and you do it. Says go do this and you do it. The question we have to answer at the beginning of this year is, who has authority in my life? Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Jesus entered the temple, and the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and said, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority. All right, let's do a little bit of work in in this particular verse. The beginning of that verse, when you get that phrasing, that when he entered the temple, this is the type of language we've seen all the way from the beginning of chapter 21. And what I want to do for you just for a second is show you a slide where we kind of back up and get an overview of Matthew 21 and 22, because If you can't already tell that I'm obsessed with the book of Matthew, I really love the way that everything is structured so incredibly to tell this story. But I want you to see the way that 21 and 22 work. So 21 begins with three symbolic actions. Jesus enters the city on a donkey. He goes into the temple and he throws over the tables where people are buying and selling and causing a ruckus and acting in unholy ways. And then the fig tree is withered. So Matthew gives us three symbolic actions that shows the power and authority that Jesus has. Then you get this section that we're looking at this morning on authority, and then immediately following that, you get three parables about how people respond to authority. We're going to look at one tonight, one Wednesday night, one the following Sunday. Then you get three questions Three traps that are set by Jesus, or set for Jesus by the religious leader. And then Jesus at the end of 22 offers one final question to kind of wrap everything up. So in our minds, as you're studying scripture, as you're reading Matthew 21 and 22 and we're talking about it, I want to make sure you see that all of this is meant to fit together. And really, when we go back to verse 23, it fits together around the word authority. The word authority is what holds together Matthew 21 and 22, and honestly, it really holds together the entire gospel. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew chapter 7 after Jesus teaches, we find out that the people were amazed, and you know why they were amazed? They were amazed because he taught as one having authority and not as their scribes. Matthew chapter 8 And nine, Jesus does all of these miracles, and he's even able to forgive the sins of the people. Why? Because he had authority. Then you go to the very end of Matthew, what we're going to look at on Easter Sunday this year. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The book of Matthew is about what kind of authority Jesus has and then we have to start asking the question what does that look like in my life if I believe Jesus has authority what does that look like let's let's kind of study through these verses and we're going to come back around to that question 24 so they say by what authority are you doing these things Jesus answered them I also will ask you one question Uh, Jesus loves to answer a question with a question Because he's wanting to push back And make sure they understand what's going on I will ask you one question And if you tell me the answer Then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things Verse 25 The baptism of John Where did it come from? From heaven Or from man Make sure we understand what's being talked about here I don't want uh, this to cause confusion when it says the baptism of John, it's referring to John the Baptist, who got a lot of coverage early in the Gospel of Matthew. John the Baptist was the one calling the people to repentance, and, and this is so great the way this works out, because if you were here last week in, in Carl's sermon and what he was talking about with John's repentance, it's, it's not just repentance, but it's repentance that leads to action. It's repentance that leads to righteousness, and so Jesus is telling them, remember John, And they knew all about John because, frankly, they didn't like him very much. Remember his ministry. Did that come from heaven? Or was he just a kook out in the wilderness making up a religious game, calling people to him? Was he just a crazy religious man? Or did he really have power from heaven? And you see what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is trying to force them to ask the same question about himself. Is Jesus... Just a crazy person claiming to be a prophet who came from the north to cause trouble in Jerusalem? Or does Jesus really have authority from heaven? Does he come with divine power? Look at what they say at the end. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe in him? So these religious leaders know if they say that John's baptism came from heaven people are going to make fun of them. They're going to scoff at them, and they're going to say, well, why didn't you respond to him? Why didn't you go out to be baptized? Look at the next verse, 26. But if we say John's baptism came from man, it was just a human endeavor, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. If they said that John was not a prophet sent from God, then all the crowds were going to think that they had no credibility because all the crowds believed that John had a ministry that came from God. Why were they not listening to him? Verse 27, So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Why? Because they had answered their question themselves. They didn't want to be forthright, and the time was not yet right yet for Jesus to be forthright, but everybody knew what was going on. And at moments like this, Jesus was a master at telling a story. And so he throws in the first of three parables. Look at this, starting in verse 28. It's an incredible parable here. Jesus says, all right, if you're not going to give me a straightforward answer, let's, ask a, let's tell a story. What do you think? A man had Two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. All right, from from that verse, a couple of things to point out to you. When you see a parable that talks about a father and two sons, it's going to help us a lot if you make the connection in your mind back to Luke chapter 15 and the parable of the prodigal son where you have a father and and two sons, and two sons that are going to respond differently to their father, there's a strong connection between the prodigal son story and Luke 15, and this parable that Jesus is going to tell here with a father and two sons. It says at the end of the verse, son, he says to the first son, go and work in the vineyard. That word vineyard, underline that that word because Wednesday night, we're going to pick up the second parable, which purposely ties back to that word vineyard. And there's a lot going on in the book of Isaiah in the, New Test- in the Old Testament about vineyards. And so Jesus is going to tie the, it's like he locks these parables together with, with key words. And vineyard is that key word that's going to lock the first and second parables together. Verse 29. So there's your first son. Son, go and work in the vineyard today. Verse 29. The son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. All right, kids, those of you who are elementary age, here's your chance to understand exactly what this parable is about. So you're at home, kids, and your parents tell you to go and clean your room. And you make the mistake of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, first off, don't do that. (laughs) Bad on on you. But let's pretend that you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go clean my room. But a few minutes later, you think, you know what? That wasn't right of me. That was not the right decision. My parents love me, and they have authority, and I should do what they asked me to do. And so you go and clean your room, even though initially you told your parents you were not going to clean your room. Now, watch what happens in the second situation here. turn the page verse 30 he went to the other son and said the same thing hey go out and work in the vineyard go clean your room and the son answered i will go sir but he did not go all right kids make sure you understand what happened there your parents asked you to clean your room you said yeah i'll clean my room and you didn't clean your room (laughs) You said with your mouth, yes, I will do that. But with your actions, you weren't going to do it. You just wanted to sound like the good kid. You had no, uh, no idea of actually going and doing what they asked you to do. Verse 31, Jesus asked them a question. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first, the one who actually did what they were asked to do. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And you cannot even imagine the rage that that would have caused for the religious leaders when Jesus said that at the end of the parable. Because you know what he's saying to them, right? As the religious leaders, they say all of the right religious words. Oh yeah, God, I I worship you. I'll do what you want me to do. But by their actions, they don't do it. And there are the tax collectors and the prostitutes who are not the respected religious people of the society. They don't have all of the good religious words. They haven't always said the right thing. But when God showed up, they responded. And Jesus says the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before these people who claim to be the religious leaders. The imagery here is incredible. You have a tax collector, someone hated by the religious people, and you have a prostitute, a female sinner who's turned to God who is going to lead the way if these religious people are going to come into the kingdom of God. They would have hated that because they were supposed to be the ones to lead the way into the kingdom of God. And if those tax collectors and prostitutes were going to make it into the kingdom of God, it was by following the religious leaders. And Jesus flips it completely. He says, religious leaders, if you're going to get into the kingdom of God, it's going to be by following the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He reverses it like he does so often in the kingdom. Then look at the final verse there. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. He spoke about a repentance that leads to righteousness, a way of life, and you did not believe John, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, You did not afterward change your minds and believe. They had seen the work of John, and they didn't respond, even though other people were responding to John. Now, they were seeing the work of Jesus, but they weren't responding to him either. They were being called to repentance. They were being called to acknowledge the authority of God, and they didn't want to do it. These religious leaders didn't. But there was another group who was responding. Okay, let's take that. Now we have to do the hard work of saying that's what those verses are about. How do we put that into our lives? What does that mean for us this morning? Let's start in this way. This is the time for New Year's resolutions, all right? I'm not gonna ask you how many of you made New Year's resolutions uh, this year. That's, That's completely up to you, how many of you made New Year's resolutions. I did some research this last week, though, and found a recent article that said the average New Year's resolution ends on January 12th, all right? So you have one more week. If you started a diet, one more week. If you started a Bible reading plan, try to go more than one more week. But uh, you've got whatever your resolution was, on average, it will end next Sunday. That might give you incredible freedom. Freedom. That might cause a lot of turmoil in your life. I don't know, but that's, that's what this article said. The average resolution ends January 12th. Here's my advice for you, my pastoral advice this morning. Just give up. That's, your, <laughs> that's my advice. If you set a resolution, just give, give up. Now, here's the, here's the Jesus juke part of that. I want you to give up this year, meaning I want you to give up control of your life this year to Jesus. The best New year's resolution you can make is not a commitment about what you are going to try harder to do. The most important commitment you can make this morning and that I can make this morning is Jesus, I give up control of my life. I'm tired of trying to hold things together. I make a mess of my life every time I try to do. I trust you. I acknowledge your authority, your power, my resolution this year is just to give up. That's it. That's not a bad resolution. Now the question is, how do we do that? First slide. We're going to use our up, in, out framework that we use here at Emmaus to think about what does it look like to take this idea of authority, that Jesus has authority from God over our lives. How do we live that out? Number one, we begin by acknowledging his authority authority. You have to begin here. There's that famous verse out of Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he has authority, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confess with your mouth, Lord, I believe that you have all authority and all power. Even power over death and power over my life. That's where God's work begins in your life. Let me say very directly, if you have never in your life acknowledged the authority of Jesus Christ over you, there is nothing more important than doing that as you begin 2020. When you say, I cannot deal with my sin, I cannot deal with the power of death, And when I look to Jesus, I don't think he's just a religious teacher from long ago. I think he is Lord of the universe. And I am going to acknowledge his authority. I am going to give my life to him. That is where it begins. That is the most important thing you can do this morning. And if God is leading you to do that this morning, on that little card that we take up in the offering plate, just write a note that says, I want to trust in Jesus for salvation during the final song we'll be here to pray with you after the service is over we'll pray with you you must begin by saying yes i acknowledge the authority of jesus over my life our christian life begins there and that's the same declaration that sustains our christian life this is the reason don't miss this this is the reason that it's so important as we gather together as a church because when we gather together as a church we together are saying Jesus, you have authority over my life. This is a reminder of that. It's a declaration of that. And we don't do it because we want to stay in this room. We don't do it because we want to count numbers. We do it because we need to be reminded of how good he is. And then he sends us out to live as those who have authority over our lives. He has that authority. Which takes us to the second slide. If you have acknowledged Jesus' authority over your life, The hard work is how do I respond to that authority? If I believe that Jesus has authority over my life, how do I live? How does that impact every day of my life? It begins by saying I refuse to be the person who just says the right words and then goes out and lives however I want. If we're not careful, especially if you grew up in church, you can get in a situation where you know all the right religious words, and you know all the words to the Psalms, and you know the Bible verses, and you can say the right thing, but you go out and there's no change of life. There's no actions that match those words. And so when we respond to Jesus' authority, we're saying, I'm not just gonna be known for my religious words. I wanna live a life that shows people that Jesus is in charge. I'm gonna repent where I need to repent And I'm going to hear the word of God. God, what are you telling me to do? And how do I go out and do that? Okay, I want to do that. How do I know what Jesus is telling me to do? We have the word of God for that purpose. We hear the word of God. We read the word of God. God's word has authority over our lives. And as we hear his word, we're saying, how do I need to repent? How do I need to live as one who trusts in Jesus, who follows him? If you are not sure where to start, let me give you a starting place, okay? At Emmaus, we have something that we call the Route 66 Bible Reading Project. So we have started on a project where we're trying to read a small portion from every book in the Bible. We've picked out a chapter from every book in the Bible and we're reading those once per week. This coming week, we're on 2 Thessalonians. This little booklet you can pick up out in the lobby. There's a basket of these booklets. Or we also send out a weekly email with these Bible readings and some notes about the Bible reading. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, or you would like to be added to this Bible reading plan, just fill out that little guest card, prayer card, put it in the offering plate. Say Bible plan plan. Put your email on there. We'll get you added or grab one of these books as you go. So here's the way that this would work in your life this week. You say, This week, I'm going to commit to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, because that's the chapter we're on this coming week. If you think there's no way that I can find 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 in my Bible, that's okay. We printed it for you in this booklet. You'll get it in the email when it comes to you. Or you open up your Bible and you begin to read that. And as you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 this week, let me ask you to do this. When you read those verses, ask yourself, what do I need to repent of? And how does God's word right here have authority over my life? And I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 to prepare for this morning. And it has some very direct things to say about God's work in our our lives. And so let's make the commitment that we're going to be the people, we want to hear God's word, we want to get God's word into our life, and then we have to make the decision, do I believe God's word has authority over my life? And if it does, then I want to respond to it. Here's the other thing I would ask you to do. Think about those areas of your life that you know you need to submit to God's authority. So, finances. God, this year, I want to submit my finances to your authority. I need to hear from your word. I need to hear from your people around me. How do I live this out financially? 2019 was a mess. We're a mess financially. What do we need to do? It begins when you say, God, you have authority over this. All of this is yours. I want to honor you financially this year. Or maybe it's not finances. Maybe it's relationships. God, some of my relationships are are a mess right now. And I know they're not honoring to you. And I'm tempted to go in all kinds of different ways. God, take my marriage. Take my kids. Take my friendships. I submit that to your authority. You're in charge of that, not me. Here's a a good one to, to focus on. God, here's my calendar. Here's my schedule. Open up your Google Calendar or your Apple, whatever calendar you use. Lord, this is yours. You have authority over my days. You have authority over my time. I submit this to you. If you need a really practical way to live that out, let me encourage you to do something. Use Sunday nights as a way to acknowledge God's authority over your time and over your calendar. There's nothing better than using a few minutes on Sunday night to look at the week coming up, look at the appointments you have, look at the meetings you have, look at the schedule ahead. Sunday night, before any of that begins, either get together with your family, do this individually and say, Lord, this is yours. This week ahead is from you, and I don't want to waste it. I want to acknowledge your authority. You have authority over my calendar, over my days, how I spend my time. I trust you. And we begin to do that. We begin to think about God's authority in all kinds of areas in our life. He has all authority. We want to live like that's true. We want to live like we believe that. And then Jesus does something in this parable that kind of takes us to that final piece. Up, acknowledge In, let me live like that's true, and then we use the word out to talk about God's authority in our lives to send us out. When we understand God's authority in our lives, hear me on this, okay? This is huge. God's authority over my life is not bad news. (laughs) We hear authority, and we hear God has authority over my life, and we begin to cringe or we begin to push back or we begin to kind of sigh a little bit, like this is bad news, hear me, Emmaus. God's authority over your life is the best news imaginable because it means you are not in charge, nor is your spouse, nor is your boss, nor is that nagging friend. None of them are in charge. Jesus is in charge. And it's not just good news for you. It's good news for people who are hurting When we understand Jesus' authority over our lives, we want to share that with others. And we're reminded that the people most receptive to God's authority are the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. Those who are hurting, those who are broken. And so, what we are praying is God, give me a heart for people who are hurting but also because of this parable that Jesus told, God, give me a heart like people who are hurting. Here's what I mean. The worst type of Christian ministry and church missions is when we're the people who have it all together going to fix the problems of the people who are broken and hurting. We understand that's not true, right? In Christian ministry, when God sends us out, We go as the people who are hurting and broken, but we've experienced God's authority and power and love in our lives. And so we go to people, not as those who have it figured out, but as those who know the one who has all authority. And so we go to people who are hurting and broken and lost, and in the process, God begins to change our own lives. If you've been on a mission trip or a ministry project, A lot of times you get back from that trip or back from that project and you say this, I'm not sure I did any good to help them, but I know they definitely changed my life. Because God put us in a situation where we were able to share his love and hope with someone else and in the process, he ended up impacting my life. So the question we have to ask is, God, who are you sending me to this year who is hurting Who are you sending Emmaus to this year that their lives are broken and lost and they're separated from you, but we believe you have authority over their lives and you want to completely change that person's life? You want to completely change that group? God, who are you going to send us to? We acknowledge your authority. You are keen. We want to respond to his authority by saying, yes, that is true in our lives. I'm going to live that out in everything I do. And then we're going to go and we're going to share that good news with everybody around us. Our commitment this year as a church is that we will give up. (laughs) But it doesn't mean that we're going to give up worship. It doesn't mean we're going to give up discipleship. It doesn't mean we're going to give up missions. It means we're going to give up control. God, you're in charge. You're in charge of our church. You're in charge of our families. You're in charge of our lives. We want to live like that's true. Would you stand with me, Emmaus? I want us to have a moment to pray together, to reflect. We're going to sing the song about this authority in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me right now as you stand? God, we stand right now as those who admit that you are God and we are not. God, we stand right now as those who admit we are not very good at being in charge of our lives But we believe that life comes from you and we want to live our lives for you. God, if you have authority and we believe you do and you've shown us that through Jesus, we wanna live like that is true. We wanna live for your purposes. We want your word to have authority over everything that we do, over our bodies, over our mouths, over our money, over relationships. And God, we believe that your authority is good news. It's news we need to share with others. God, let that be true. If you are standing here right now, use this time as a chance to recommit yourself to the Lord. Lord, this year, you will have authority over my life. I don't want to just say that with my words. I want to live that out in everything that I do. And if you're standing here and you are uncertain whether or not Jesus has all authority, I pray in 2020 that God would do a powerful work in your life, that you would come to trust him, that you would come to worship him, that you would repent of sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. Call out to him. God, you are good. Let us sing that together right now.